Hello and welcome to this episode of the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is Asheville's podcast where we sit down and talk with Asheville makers, community members, entrepreneurs, etc. Ask them what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And this week, I'm joined by a dear friend, and we are in this dear friend's uh, laboratory, so to speak. Uh, this is Boomer Sassman, founder, owner of Big Boom Design. Boomer, please say hello. Hello. Thanks <laughs> so, for having me. It's great to have you. And so uh, I am excited to talk with you. We talk often enough, often about cars and websites and business things. But uh, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a a long time. And there's a bunch of reasons why. And so I'm going to try and give our listeners... What took so long? <laughs> an, uh, 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 <laughs> you know... Pandemic, COVID, a baby, yeah, stuff, life. <laughs> stuff, yeah. life. But um, I'm going to try to give the listeners a sense of why I think you're, to me, like so exciting and uh, someone I, I admire and want to draft off of in some ways professionally and, and as a human. And so here are the things that I think when I think of Boomer One, um, you know, uh, bytes so like internet things technology things website things your ability to quickly assess and do uh like research on websites how they're performing how they're optimized if they're not where the opportunities are is second to none from what i've seen so far very exciting stuff and i love it and so then there's this business that you have big boom design that i want to get into i'm a big proponent of word space or wordpress as a um platform for a specific type and many types of businesses um and so you, your business focuses primarily i believe on wordpress yep. if not exclusively uh exclusively okay exclusively yep. on wordpress so those two things scratch my like uh, business and technology itches and i know there's a lot more to you in that space and then there's this other side of you that is like very um you know adam's focused and and real physical things space. physical space and we're in this incredible garage uh that is i think a um it is the exact space that i think of when i think of you uh as this tinkerer builder um not just in zeros and ones on websites but in real life and the two of these things living together is really ex exciting and um i think points to perhaps a dream of Asheville business owners is like to find the balance, the balance. And you seem outside in, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you seem to have a pretty exciting and fun balance when it comes to quality of life. Perhaps I try. Yep. you try. So can you tell us a little bit about big boom design today? Like what's yeah. going on with your business? We're uh, almost 15 years in uh, December 27th of this year will be 15 years. It's been a, it's been a really interesting ride. It hasn't really been very rocky. Um, we haven't had any like massive, you know, issues that have popped up, which I knock on wood. That's a really good thing other than what everybody else has dealt with, with sure. pandemic issues and things like that. But, um, you know, at the, at the peak of it, like number of employees, we got up to about 12 and I kind of started to freak out a little bit. That was at probably years six, seven, eight. Um, and I just realized that 
all of a sudden I wasn't doing what I started the business to do or what mm. I, you know, I, I love and loved, you know, building and designing sites and helping clients figure out what, you know, the next step is for their website and how it fits in with their business. And all of a sudden I wasn't doing any of that. I was just managing people that I didn't go to school to do that. I didn't have any background in it. And I kind of had a freak out moment of like, this is not what I intentionally had planned on. And I, and then I realized I hadn't really uh, had much planning to get to that point. It was just kind of like go with the flow, grow as we need to pull in clients as we need to. And so about six, seven years ago, I kind of started to think about more of a strategic, where do I want this to go? And at the same time, I was kind of watching other web companies that were uh, more seasoned than I was, and I was watching burnout across our industry. And I was trying to figure out why it is that all these web people and web companies uh, just why they grow past their uh, past the point of comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people just didn't put the brakes on uh, when they maybe should have. And so I about four or five years ago started to make a, some intentional decisions to cap the growth of the business and to kind of trim down on the employee base and just be far more intentional with the decisions that were uh, being made rather than just letting things kind of happen laissez-faire style. So So I am excited to get into that because, well, for a lot of reasons, I suspect that it is uh, the gift of a successful business is opportunity and many opportunities and uh there's a certain truth in the idea that if you try to do everything you probably can't do anything you don't do anything that particularly well and so um our you know this the last interview we had is in, in like they built they developed this physical space rentals um and i said that's gotta be one of the hardest first business ideas ever right like you're going three-dimensional chess and when i often think of entrepreneurship or like the fastest road to it i think of service-based businesses and often technology businesses and so um where i want to go quickly is back towards the beginning uh, and understand a sense of where you started right so you could be doing potentially anything with WordPress, web, website building and design. Um, and I imagine that that was part of the complexities. Like, all right, so we get in with people, we build a website, and now we can do you know, SEO optimization. And you start writing content for people if they want it. And then you start uh, doing social media management. Yep. And then you start building another website. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like you say yes to all these things because you're early. And you're perhaps operating from a place of fear or just excitement that you want to grow and grow. So we say yes, and we hire people potentially. And then all of a sudden, it's like you have so many promises and so many different conflicting uh, needs and deliverables, and there aren't necessarily systems or repeatable processes. And you're like, what is going on? Where are we? So. Uh, how did it start? Because I like the idea of starting quickly, and I wonder if you just said, like, uh, hang a shingle, I'll build a website for you. How did yeah, it I mean, early on, we weren't WordPress-specific or exclusive because at the time, 15 years ago, that WordPress wasn't half of the Internet. And so early on, it was I wanted to you know, start a web company and, and build and rebuild sites for people, but um, we started with, with Joomla and OS Commerce and .NET Nuke and 
Um, I remember I, I took a flight somewhere and in the early days of the business and I decided to, to build the same website on like five different platforms, the exact same site, same pages, same content, try to get same functionality. And from that, I realized that Joomla and WordPress were kind of the, the winners. And I had a, from the beginning, a big goal to make the business an educational web design company, meaning that I wanted the clients to not just be in the backseat, but they needed to be more involved either in the, the build out, you know, as far as giving feedback throughout the build out process, but then definitely once it was done, having them be in the driver's seat to make changes if they wanted to. And so for me, uh, Drupal was not an option because it was too complex to train on and just people that aren't techies weren't going to get it. Uh, so Joomla early on was a contender, WordPress was a contender, and then over about a four to five year span, WordPress just grew and grew and grew. Um, you know, the open source aspects of WordPress really kind of caught my eye and just the ease of use. And then over time, luckily, WordPress has just grown into this behemoth of a platform that's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think when I started paying attention to internet things, they 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 were saying that WordPress was like 90% of all websites. It's um, These days, it's about 50% of yeah, all got, new sites. Yeah, it's got to be lower. Yep. And it's, uh, but, but then the number two platform is down under 10%. Yeah. So it's not just like the front runner. It's, you know, just on a high speed train <laughs> blasting yeah. down the, you know, the tracks. So. And, and what set it in your mind most meaningfully apart? Uh, it was the scale. It was the customization. Ease, it of, was ease of training. Ease of use. Yeah. Ease of training was a big part of it. Um, you don't have to, you know, early on we, we weren't super profitable. So I also just didn't have a lot of money to hire really expensive, you know, really, really intelligent developers. I had to find folks right out of school and, and hopefully, you know, get them, you know, on the big boom design train and, and have them learn as much as they possibly could alongside of me. And we all kind of grew together, which was a really, really cool experience. Um, yeah. And then, you know, WordPress and just websites, I guess, are they're recession proof. Mm. Everybody needs a site. Every couple of years, everybody needs a new site or work on their site. Um, and so it, that's more of a thought looking back rather mm -hmm. than like back in the day looking forward. I wasn't strategically trying to place myself in that spot, but now looking back over the past 15 years, like that was a, that was a good thing. So what got crazy? What, what parts of it, what parts of the business grew that you realized weren't serving you or the vision anymore? I mean, you kind of hit on it where everybody wants to, you know, you start working with a company and everybody's like, oh great, you're going to do the website. Well, so that means you're going to write the content, you're going to do the social media, you're going to help me with my email, you're going to, you know, help us figure out, you know, Kickstarter or, you know, whatever it might might have been that was just tech related. So all of a sudden I became like the tech person in a lot of these clients lives where they just kind of came to me with all these things. And so that was a, kind of one of the first very clear lines that I drew was we do not do content and we do not do social media and we are not app developers. We dig deep into WordPress and we, you know, the big goal was making sure that we were building sites that were following best practices, that we were setting people up for success with SEO, um, even if we weren't going to do SEO for them. And, um, and then I think the, the next like little evolution, once we had built sites and they were performing well and people said, okay, well, what's next? Um, I just kind of at that point let my interests in like the data tracking part of it get intertwined within the work that we were doing. So we started to tackle like analytic tracking and help people understand their visitors and the traffic and the keywords, which is a key piece in search engine optimization and 
just overall business strategies. And that it seems like is a fractal space, right? The idea, the, the SEO site optimization is one thing to make a pretty website. It's, it seems like it's an entirely other thing uh, to start to play in this site optimization yeah. space. Um, how do you balance? Because I've seen you do the deep dives yeah. on keywords, on page rank, on yep. all of those, um, I'll call it like second, third, and fourth degree ninja website things. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you balance that? perhaps maybe with new customers or folks who arrive at your door today versus a handful of years ago? I think that one of the big things that has helped with that, that approach or that strategy is um, I started teaching classes through AB Tech, the community colleges, mm, okay. community college. And I realized, I realized this back in the day when I taught snowboard lessons, that if you start teaching something, it forces you to really, really, really get to the nitty gritty bare bones of it. And if you can't explain it at a base level, you really don't know it yourself. Mm. And so I, I forced myself to, um, I got interested in teaching. I started doing that and then I got clients from that, but I also really honed in on um, how to how to best kind of deliver a strategy or talk to people about it. And the main thing I did was um, make sure that they understand what the bigger goal is. And so I would bring folks in early on to say, well, who are your competitors and what do you want to rank for? Mm. And one of the you know core questions I ask people is, or clients is, you know, what do you want to be number one on Google for? And that's something that I think everybody's like, well, I want to show up high on Google and I want to rank for everything and really well. And I'm like, well, let's define that. And a lot of times what business owners want to rank on Google for is so far removed from what people are actually searching for. Mm. So early on, it's kind of just like bursting bubbles and trying to say like, Hey, let's look at the keyword landscape and what your competitors are doing and what you're currently ranking for and what you could rank for and um, getting them to be extremely involved in that process, I think, is key. And that's what maybe sets us apart from other folks that would just say, like, oh, we do, web, you do, we do a SEO strategy or we do SEO implementation. Mm. It's like, but you're actually, like, working with your clients or are you just doing stuff behind the scenes and then saying, all right, you're good to go? Yeah. And I think that sets them up sometimes for uh, – Maybe success, but success in the wrong direction. Yeah, or um, poorly managed expectations. Yeah. on the on the nuance. So, what, do you have? And this is a hard on the spot question. Sure. But do you have like an example of the difference between uh, a client's perceived desire to be number one for a thing? Yep. And okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Early, and I've used this example for over a decade now. I had a chiropractor as a client. And early on, like I, I have, you know, I've got I've got pain throughout my body. I've had a number of in injuries, and uh, I've I've got a lot of back pain and sciatic pain. And so I had a I got a chiropractor that I met, and I said, you know, let's you want to trade chiropractic care for website work? She was like, yep, totally. So uh, I said, what do you what do you want to be number one on Google for? And she said, back subluxation, Asheville, North Carolina. I was like, wow, I don't know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> and who's, now I know what that means. Who's yeah? Who's searching? Who's that? searching that? And who's searching that is other chiropractors. Sure. Maybe you know, maybe. or at least they understand what those terms mean. You don't have to type in Asheville, North Carolina. People know where you are, or you can at least mm -hmm. just type in Asheville or Asheville NC. Uh, subluxation is such a foreign thing that nobody would ever search for unless you're writing a paper. Yeah. Um, and so that experience and that in, that relationship with that client taught me that a lot of times the most knowledgeable people. 
uh, knowledgeable about their own industry and business have no idea what people are actually searching for. Mm. And so that kind of helped me uh, work with clients and help extract things from them as far as what they what they know about their business and the terminology and then find not like dumbed down versions, but find practical versions of the services that they offer. Practical in the sense that it's what people might actually search for, like back pain Asheville. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Chiropractors Asheville. Right, right yeah. <laughs> but at the time, like I didn't know I needed a chiropractor. Yeah. I was yeah. like acupuncture, chiropractor, you it. know, rolfing, massage therapy. I don't know. So uh, yeah, trying to distill down to a general thing, but still a long tail term that makes sense. Sure. And maybe zoom a step up or out what services do you prioritize today in your business in big boom design we so primarily we're a uh, we're a wordpress development shop um, i can kind of dumb that down even further and say we're a website repair shop mm. so we you know we dig into a lot of websites that are already built on wordpress and in some cases they're not and then we rebuild them onto wordpress and then and we, and we kind of have evolved up to a point where we do some pretty complex sites. So we, big, we do big directory websites. Um, that's associations, chambers of commerce, tourism and development authorities, um, a lot of those entities, sites that need big directories. And then we dig deep into like complex plug-in development that are custom to a particular client based on what they, what they need. We also then, as kind of a main piece, uh, that's probably 50% of the business. The other 50% is the ongoing hosting and maintenance of those sites. Mm -hmm. So probably half the business is, um, you know, clients reach out and say, hey, I need these changes made or we want to add this functionality. And we go in and we either find the plugins or we build the plugins, roll them into the site, train the client on those. And then on the more long-term approach, we make sure it's the sites are hosted, hosted well, hosted fast, secure, um, and do the ongoing hand-holding maintenance part, which a lot of other web companies out there, they just do the, the design or the build or the development, but then they're like, all right, good luck. Yeah, put it on GoDaddy or HostGator yeah. or whatever for yeah. web service. And, and, and they don't even, you know, do things like backups or updates. And so then, you know, a couple months to a year later, these people are like, well, my site got hacked or my site crashed. Where yeah. are the backups? And it's like, oh, well, we don't do any maintenance. Sorry. Yeah. And so I saw that as a big niche that there was a lot of folks that were coming to us saying, Hey, my site was built by this other company in in Asheville or somewhere else, um, but that's all that they do is they just build. Yeah. And so the goal was to try to do both of those and both of those well. So just as a baseline, uh, can you compare that to what standard might be? Right. So like, if someone were to do say, it is my opinion that if you're going to start a business, um, a I don't know handyman service you don't exactly need a well-designed website you don't exactly need um i, I think if there's a, a couple tiers of businesses one is like a bit web or websites one is like a business card one website yep. one is a um you know 24 7 sales uh as the you know the website itself is a salesperson for yep. you type website and then like e-commerce and um perhaps database directory websites yep. that are just like um, FAQ pages slash uh, the person who would pick up the phone and point you in the right direction as a website. So if you're just the business card website, there's not much that you necessarily need. And there's a bunch of ways to get a website stood up quickly. Um, but there are often downsides 
to how efficient and how simple and how uh, cheap yeah. that is. What are some of those downsides? Yeah, I mean, these days the whole like the business card website concept is the Google My Business. You know, Google My Google Business Pages essentially are kind of are helping to fill that gap. These days, you know, you just search for, you know, whether you're trying to find the hours for a restaurant or you know the phone number or menu or something like that. Rarely do people even land on the website. They just go Google it and they use the little Google knowledge box and get that info. So you can, yeah, you can have a website single page, whether it's WordPress or Wix or Weebly or Squarespace or whatever. Um, and, and a lot of times you can do those yourself and it's not overly complicated. I think a lot of people just build it up. They get too intimidated before they even really take the first step to try mm-hmm. to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm a, you know, I maintain fish tanks. You know, yeah. why could I ever, you know, build out a site? But it's actually, it's not that complicated yeah. to do that type of site. Um, and then you kind of start stepping up and you start looking at like, well, what are your calls to action? You know, are you trying to do online bookings? Are you trying right. to do, you know, online sales or and then a it request starts, to quote? Yeah. And, and you can still kind of do all that stuff yourself early on. Uh, and then it and then it quickly ramps up. Sure. And you start jumping into more of these uh, more complex like directories, for instance, is a big bucket for us that have a lot of functionality. Uh, not they don't always have to have a lot of functionality, but they um, the barrier to to build that out yourself if you're not a web person is massive Mm. Um, even on the lower end of the functionality scale when it comes to that Um, and then you start looking at sites that you know they might need to spend 20 to 40 to 50 thousand dollars a year to maintain and continuously build out certain functionality and then you you need to pull in somebody that you know teams it seems yeah Yeah, and and so that's not maybe the bottom of the barrel but with with like wordpress specifically one of the things that i think about is um, WordPress, and this might not be the best example, but imagine a cell phone and you want this new feature and so you have to download an app, right? That's a plugin on yeah. WordPress. WordPress is the phone in that example. The plugin is an app in yep. that example. But in WordPress, you know, the underlying WordPress gets a software update often enough and then these apps get software updates, you know, yep. identify some sort of a a bug, uh, or bug or a, a feature, feature yeah. issue or security issue and they say hey you should update me and most folks who are running their own website miss those yeah most of the time well they either yeah they either don't look at them or you know keep an eye on those and then yeah. things get out of date and then either crash or get hacked or they're too on it and they just run it because they were told to and then it crashes mm. and then they don't have a backup you know yeah. so there's there's certain things that you know, I try to tell people, I'm like, yeah, you need to update your site, run a backup first. Yeah. You know? So to, to to point specifically to that, because that is easy to not necessarily follow, WordPress specifically, there are times where you update a plugin, yeah, and that plugin wipes the site. Yep. <laughs> <And> you <laughs> like Get the white screen of death, and you're like, yeah. what just happened? And yeah. now you got to go into places I don't fully understand, FTP files and <laughs> uh, indexes. That are that are straight up just hosted on a server. I don't even know what I'm saying. Sure. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, it's just body sweat, and you're like, "Oh no, all my co-. and you know, I've never owned a website that was getting thousands of page views sure. in a day." Uh, but even when you're like one person who's trying to get to the website right now who can't, yep. this is so embarrassing. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. How do I fix this? I don't know how to fix this, and you need someone in your corner. Yep. And so, you know, part of it is making sure that you're using, that you're knowledgeable enough about the best practices to not get yourself into that situation. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I can just add these free plugins. Cool. 
let me go try to try out four different form plugins. Yeah. And then there, all of a sudden, they've got these redundant competing plugins that are crashing the site or causing issues. And, um, you know, so keeping sites clean is a, obviously the best practice, keep yeah. them, keeping them lean. Uh, you know, so we, we look at, we go into it with um, health, speed, and security as our three mm. main things. It's got to, sites need to be healthy, and there's a checklist around that. Um, they need to run quickly these days, things like that. You know, so, and some of this is driven by Google. Google yeah. says, hey, your site needs to be mobile friendly. Uh, hey, it needs to, you know, be responsive and, um, in that sense. It needs to load quickly on desktop and mobile. Uh, and so we try, to, we try to listen to what Google's saying, but yeah. they also don't tell us much. Sure. So some, yeah. a lot of it's just, you guess, know, guess. Yeah. yeah. And, and just research, you know, trying to stay up with trends Whatever and articles saying. and stuff. Yeah. Um, interesting. So the, the, the site de app development and site development, are there examples of um, particularly interesting ones that have happened in a while? I know that you're saying directories. So I'm imagining it's like massive lists of maybe businesses and where they're located. Yeah. Like a chamber of commerce is a good example. And, and so, Early on when we did Joomla work, we built Joomla sites. We did that because Joomla at the time had the best directory system. and But Joomla was a pain for a lot of reasons. And so we all wanted, we, we all being like web developers, wanted WordPress to kind of grow up and get it together. Mm -hmm. And so around that time as it was starting to naturally do that, I had a really talented team, still do, and said, hey, let's... Um, we think we could try to build our own WordPress plugin that does directory stuff. Mm -hmm. and at the time, that was like a really infant idea, and we I didn't know what we were really doing or heading down the path of. And so about a decade ago, we started building this WordPress directory plugin to help power all of these you know, different sites that we were building. Uh, and so 10 years later now, it's it's uh, it's awesome. And it's, out, it's public, uh, it's open source, it's out in the repo. We've got hundreds of sites, both in-house that we've built with it and then hundreds if not thousands of sites out there that we didn't uh, build that people are using our plugin to um, to power their directory sites Whoa. free plugin yep wow big boom directory that's a uh that's one of the things in the wordpress space that i find pretty fascinating i find uh and just in general is the idea of apps on top of uh platforms mm -hmm. and you know, like Zoom apps are a relatively recent thing. And I was like, ooh, building a business on top of this other business is, is interesting. Uh, are there paid WordPress apps that you find mm -hmm. mission critical on some websites? Yeah. And so the freemium model. And at one point when we first started working on the plugin, I kind of had a moment of, um, oh, we could run that path. Being we could create this freemium model where we've got a free plugin in the WordPress repository. And then if people want to uh, upgrade to the premium version of it, it unlocks certain features or we give them custom support or whatever it might be. And I went to a couple Word uh, WordCamp US events and I found a few people that were like some of the top plugin developers in the world in the WordPress space. Yeah. And I said, I want to talk to you about, you know, I've got this agency right now. Yeah. This is what we do. We've got this really cool plugin. I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. And a, and a number of them were like, easy there, buddy. It's a different business that you're yeah. talking about here, and you got to really focus in on you know support. And all of a sudden, you have a thousand sites that you didn't build using this plugin that you did build. It's got to jive well with all these other plugins that are in the system. 
you got to make sure you're maintaining it and keeping it up to date with WordPress updates. Mm. And they kind of scared me away from that as a business model. And I'm really happy that yeah. they did that. Um, <laughs> yep. And so uh, you, that's not the first time that I've heard that WordPress app as a business is probably not the business, but WordPress app as a top of funnel is interesting or plug in. middle funnel. Yeah. Plug in as a middle funnel thing. Um, one of the issues that I've heard with WordPress specifically is the idea that uh, there wasn't the ability to perhaps like directly or natively or easily transact to pay for set apps on a recurring basis. Like most WordPress apps I believe are like single transaction. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's at that point, it's really up to the developer to like tap into and use whatever whatever virtual merchant they uh, they want to use. So, I mean, we did run that path for a little bit, and we had you know our, our plugins set up so that people could you know upgrade, um, and we would give them a license key, and we mm -hmm. use Stripe, we yeah. use WooCommerce tied into Stripe with like a subscription plugin on top of that. But all of a sudden, I, I saw exactly what these people warned me about that I was yeah. getting spread too thin, and we were trying to build sites over here and I was trying to maintain, manage my team. And then we were doing this plugin development and thinking about that whole model. And finally I realized that the better route is let's keep working on this, these plugins and let's use that as a competitive advantage where we go then pitch to a chamber of commerce or a TDA and say, Hey, we, we have an extremely popular WordPress directory plugin that we built in house. We can overhaul your website, move it onto WordPress or rebuild your theme because it's already on WordPress we'll roll in this plugin and then we've got these 10 little add-ons that are built specifically around our plugin that can do, um, you know, membership portals and, and things like that. Sure. And so we kind of use it as a tool in our toolkit rather than trying to have it be its own revenue stream. Sure. And that fits more in with the open source model anyway. It does. And, and what you just pointed to is, a. Uh, I think I'm interested in learning more about how, what is your sales engine look like today? How, one of the ways that I want to kind of set that up is um, strategic decisions you made a handful of years ago to change the business. How big in terms of like total customer, like help, help, help yeah. us get a sense of the scale of what's going on yep. and how thinly you're spread and then what it looks like today in contrast. And then what, like, how are you, are you trying to get new customers? How do you get new customers? Yeah, so, I, so ironically, like, just before COVID, um, before any of us knew that was about to happen, I put a halt, a very intentional halt on bringing in new clients. Um, this was a group decision among me and my team. Uh, you know, I was kind of getting burnout on the whole, you know, constantly working on proposals and estimates, constantly mm -hmm. going and having meetings with folks and, spending an hour of my time not working on current client stuff um, or with my team and just meeting with people and vetting their ideas um, in the end, only, you know, wanting to, or even, you know, bringing in only a handful of them. And so we don't, you know, at that point we had about 300 clients. Whoa. And, um, and a lot of that's thanks to the chambers of commerce that kind of kicked off the business early on. We built these chamber sites. We all of a sudden had hundreds of businesses at our disposal that also needed websites. Mm -hmm. So the business, you know, the number of clients kind of grew rapidly early on, probably quicker than it should have. Um, but that was a good problem to have. Sure. And then 
you know, just before COVID, I kind of realized like, hey, we don't really need to bring in new clients. As long as we can have a commitment and a good relationship with our current clients, the commitment being, hey, we'll dedicate, you know, we'll say that we will stick with you and we've got X amount of dollars yeah. for the next calendar year to put towards our website and towards your company. That helped me kind of uh, project out cash flow and make sure that not only were we going to sustain as a company, but that I could continue and give raises across the team um, appropriately. Sure. And, um, and so, you know, every year or two or three sites need work. Yeah. Really, they need work constantly. But every couple of years from a design standpoint, things l just Local, look out of date. Yeah. Uh, and so we luckily had enough clients that um, committed to that and said, yeah, we're on board for this. Wow. Help, help me get a sense of the, so it's 300 clients before. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine when you say I need a, so there's a couple things that I think about when I think about websites as a business. And part of it is like, you know, a website build is probably a couple thousand to many thousands, tens of thousands of dollars um, with an upper bound being like something crazy if you're building for, you know, a huge client. Yeah. But let's just say five figures to four figures is a reasonable amount of money per one client to build a website. But that's not reoccurring. No. And so that's a very up and down and yep. up and down. And, you know, you hunt for new business, you get it. And now you need to have people to deliver it because it can't be you necessarily. Or if it is, then, uh, I, you know, I've been there and yep. I've seen the, the highs and lows. And the lows can be uh, depressing, depressing, deeply, <laughs> darkly. And so what I'm hearing is that in this strategic kind of change that you implemented just before the pandemic, you modeled for recurring revenue yep. how, what how, do, how does that look so yeah, we created, more hosting we created some very specific SLAs service level agreements where um, you know a lot of people said well you know you have to host your website somewhere and a lot of businesses think that that's really the only recurring thing that they need to pay for once the website's built and that's true if you do have like you know let's say you're just like a landscaper or a, a handyman or yeah. you just need a site you're never really going to make changes to it yeah, you can get away with, you know, 10 to $15 a month hosting with GoDaddy. And you don't really need somebody unless, you know, you got somebody who needs unless to be doing do. backups and updates. Unless you do. Yeah. Right. But, Until you do. But, uh, you know, just the nature of the types of clients that we had, a lot of them needed constant stuff. These chambers and these TDAs and these associations, they want to keep their membership up. And so they want to show um, added value as time goes on for their members. And so they were kind of looking back at me saying, well, what else? What's next? What else can we do? And so that was helpful, um, but we just, I made a very intentional decision to create a tiered um, service level agreement system. All three of those levels include hosting that's fast, mm. um, as well as, you know, backups and uptime monitoring and Google Analytics and, you know, monthly or quarterly reports and then one-on-one -on -one meetings with people to review their data. Mm. Uh, and so based on the level that people want to jump in at, um, you know, we offer those different services as part of that. Um, yeah, and that was a big part from a recurring revenue standpoint because for years, for probably almost a decade, hosting was barely a break-even service. Sure. It wasn't until I really tried to figure out how to convince people uh, or make them realize that there's more to it than just hosting a site. Yeah, it, the commoditized... So there's, there's... It's a race to a bottom if you're 
if you're competing in a commodity market. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that hosting is commoditized because you buy a website on, you know, websitebuyer.com and they say first year's hosting yep. 199 a month and then you know you're you're committed to the next 3 years at 14 but they're giving it away and the quality is give it away quality <laughs> i mean some of it again going back to like you know it, it, some of it is steered or pushed i guess by technology and companies and what i mean by that is you know 10 years ago none of us built mobile friendly websites because mobile friendly wasn't a thing yeah. like responsive design didn't exist yet yeah and then all of a sudden you know everybody was like well your site looks horrible on a phone and it was like oh okay well we need to what do we need to do you yeah. know and so that created this like wave of rebuilds and then google came out and said if your site's not loading in under three or four seconds you're gonna we're gonna actively start pushing you down in the rankings in the SERP, uh, search engine result page so you know that's an that's an example where technology phone evolution pushed that, and then Google pushed like, hey, make your sites load quicker, which then caused a lot of people to come back to us and say, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, your sites, you're paying 15 bucks a month for hosting. You know, you're on this McDonald's level type of you know server. We it's time to step it up, sure. and so that's going to cost more monthly. And um, so some of it is just trends in the industry. Yeah. Um, sometimes coding languages come out or evolve where you know, um, like React came out, which was Facebook's thing, which is basically when you click on something, it doesn't have to refresh the whole page. Mm. It does an instant page update without refreshing. So, so that creates these like little micro movements inside of site design and functionality and mm. development where the client might not know what the terms are, yeah. but they're just like, hey, make my site do this. Yeah, and you it's know? like, uh, I got these really high quality photos and so I put them on my website, and then there's just now like, it takes a minute to load my homepage. So yeah, there's so much data in that photo yeah. that might not be serving. So that's the other thing is just self sabotage on the client yeah. side of it, where they don't they just don't know better. Yeah, I dropped I dropped all of these like you know look at our work, look at our cust yeah. you know customer success pictures, and it's just the whole website's just tanks dragon. Yep, interesting. So and, I mean on the you know on the going back a little bit as far as just the you know the size and scale of sites i mean we you know these days are kind of entry level sites right around like six to seven thousand dollars and that's kind of for a standard you know standard site mm -hmm. and that may seem like not enough it may seem like a lot um that is basically our effort to land on kind of a turnkey no corners cut training given quality built theme curated plugins quality server um all of that kind of stuff and that can go all the way up to Fifty to sixty thousand dollars for a site build. Sure. Um, yeah. and so that's kind of the range that we we fall in, and then you know we've got a couple handful of clients that are in the you know um, six figure range uh, as far as a yearly contract to continuously dedicate time and effort and development towards a project. Wow. So, so that is uh, those definitely seem like bigger fish. Yeah. So are you under three hundred customers today? Yes. Okay. Meaningfully. <laughs> yes. Okay. And some of that was just basic raising rates. Yeah. I, I you, know, can, you know, that's supply and demand curve yeah, type yeah. stuff. So, you know, we're really lucky these days that we have very, very, very few, if any, um, asshole clients. Yeah. Bad customers. Like, yeah, we just don't. And that's, and some of that is because I actively was like, it's time for you to go. Yeah. <laughs> and others it's like, 
we just I think our values aren't aligned sure. anymore, you know. And then and it like, seems that there's a truism that you know the more someone pays, the more value they see in the service or the product that they purchased. And there seems to be a uh, you know the number diminishes uh, number of bad finds, bad customers, yeah. the more expensive things get. And Not the trust true, factor goes pretty up. Pretty high. The trust factor goes up considerably. Course. You know, if you're if you're saying you know this is going to be, you know a thousand bucks to do this big giant thing hmm. compared to well this is ten thousand dollars at that price point of the ten thousand dollar figure um they assume that you know what you're doing sure and so the trust is is the trust is stronger sure. um, and you get better you get better clients yeah you know so when thinking then about where we are today and the changes that you attempted to implement at the beginning of the pandemic Am I right to assume that some of it was quality of life focused? Yeah, tremendously. Okay. It, it was the, uh, you know, watching peers burn out and actively trying to figure out how to not do that or not follow them down that path. Um, and then, yeah, that was a big part of it. And for me, minimizing screen time and not having that affect the end result product or the customer service was crucial. Hmm. And so when I started framing it around that, it's like, how do I minimize the amount of time that I'm sitting in front of a screen, but also make sure that the team still feels very involved and still feels like a team. Um, and then the clients also feel like, you know, they've, we've got their back. Uh, and so, yeah, that was, that forced me to really focus in on efficiencies within the business and, if I'm going to sit down and in front of the computer, I'm 110% in and trying to be as productive and efficient in that whatever amount of time that might be so that I can then go dip into the woods and, and explore, you know. Heard. Well, was there, were there, um, I'll say, lessons in that recalibration? Did you pull back too far at the beginning and had a, you know, reassess and then say oh okay yes yeah. these are where <laughs> this is actually the new level yeah uh yes there was a few of them uh, uh years ago i took a, a month-long trip on a motorcycle solo around part of the country up into canada and um, put a couple people in place some managers to kind of make sure the team and the clients and the projects were moving forward and i did a once a week check-in sometimes like on the bike uh from you know from a highway somewhere and Everything went really well, and I prepped the team for that, you know, sabbatical, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. um, and came back and thought everything was, like, just donkey-dory, and then over the next six months, like, one thing after another, you know, I discovered, I was like, ooh, that was not handled well, or this client, you know, was was not communicated well with, and, and they just haven't reached back out, and so when I decided six months later to reach out, I all of a sudden realized, like, oh, we didn't handle this well. So there were certain things that, um, yeah, I dipped out too far too quick, I think, but that was also a really, really, really good thing to recognize and to force myself through. And luckily it wasn't crippling to the point that, um, you know, I don't even think we lost any clients from that. I just had to work harder to salvage a few of those relationships. Sure. And it also set a tone for my client base and my team to know that I'm going to, I want to keep doing that's this. Where we're, that's where we're headed. We're yeah. headed in this direction. Yeah. We got to get yeah. better. Right. Don't we don't get to make these mistakes right. next time. Yeah. Um so so then I'm interested in hearing I mentioned this earlier, right? So let's maybe let's just continue down this big boom 
uh, s- line of questioning and line of uh, understanding. And then I do want to try and understand this balancing act that you're, you've been able to pull off present day. Uh, what is the future look like for you and for Big Boom Design? Like how we're nearing the end of 2022. How are you thinking about the years ahead? Is it more of the same and more more better? Um, what, are, what are you targeting? Yeah. Um, you know, we we're, the goal is to continue to keep the client base capped with very, very few exceptions. And so while it's been nice for the past couple of years to say, like, we don't take on new clients, I break that rule. Sure. When it, there's no better sales rule than, <laughs> than say, our, we're you too know, busy. like, oh, we're too busy. <laughs> like we have such a good thing going yep. here. I'm and they'll be right. like, oh, please, and please, like, please. How about this other zero that I right. can give you? Yep. Sure. And so we, some of the clients that we've taken on over the past couple of years have actually been some of, you know, the most exciting and the coolest folks that we've worked with. Um, but it's, but it's kind of at my discretion at the, at the team. You know, I, I always bring it to the team. I'm like, Hey, here's this new client. I told you guys we weren't taking on new clients. What do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, that's a cool business. Uh, so we, we do break that on occasion. Um, I don't publicize that often. Sure. Other than the podcast, I so guess. So if you've got, <laughs> got a cool business, holler a boomer. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But, you know, we continue to grow year after year, anywhere from, you know, 5 to 25%, which is fantastic to not really bring in new clients and, and have the, you know, the recurring revenue continue to grow mm-hmm. and um, these, you know, pieces of functionality within sites continue to, to push that that revenue up. Um, so the goal is, yeah, to continue to do that. Um, I am at a point where, you know, I'd, I'd like to travel as much as possible mm-hmm. with, without hurting the business. Um, so that's kind of a constant uh, struggle, I guess, to try to figure out like what that balance actually looks mm-hmm. like. Um, whether that's, you know, me taking off on a Thursday, Friday and going on a motorcycle camping trip, or if that's me, you know, taking off for weeks at a time and um, just kind of stepping out. And that's seasonal, you know, based on a lot of our clients are tourism based mm-hmm. and so that the seasons kind of dictate when their budgets are and when you know I need to be more engaged uh, the goal is to not grow the team anymore we're at uh, about six people right now we're all locally in Asheville um, we shut down the physical office early COVID which was a really good decision mm. um, I, I was scared about that one early on but that's worked out really well and um, yeah, to continue to build out plugins, we're doing some really cool stuff. We're continuing to build add-ons for the directory plugin, which then lets me go to the you know fifteen TDAs and chambers and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, we just built this new thing. Um, what do you think about us rolling it in?" And so, it's at any point, it feels like it's it's getting you know easier and easier to kind of unlock potential revenue mm-hmm. with our current client base, and they're along they're along with that. Yeah, because there's value. Yeah, yeah, and they so. Whether I'm checking in with them or they're checking in with me, and we literally get clients call and say, "What's what's the new what's hotness? Like, what yeah. you know, what's next?" So that's kind of cool. I think that there's uh, a teachable moment in there, it, and it is to me, it's it has to do with if you can do the work once and get paid for it multiple times. And granted, the work once is a in this specific example is a loose understanding of what you've done, right? You've built this app, then installation, you know, implementation is its own version of the work and customization, right? But um, there is this, for lack of a better term, widget that is uh, technology and or service-based that can be rinsed and reused uh, to create efficiencies and high value. If we can find that in all of our businesses, 
that's a it's a good thing to have. Um, the other teachable moment is the idea that you know dollars one through five from a new customer is a lot harder to come by than dollars five through ten. Yeah. And so, how are we thinking about dollars five through ten? Yeah. That's and awesome. some of it. Some of it has taken a, a leap of faith, or you know, trying to figure out if your strategy is just your strategy, or if it's actually going to hit home with other people. Like this, we're, we're building an add-on for one of, for a directory plugin right now that a client's actively paying for, mm. and they agreed to a fixed amount for this thing, this feature. Well, we're going to spend about three times as much time building this thing for them because we're really trying to overthink it and think through all the different use cases so that so that we can then roll it out to 15 other mm -hmm. companies organizations using it. So mm -hmm. while we you know the client might pay $10,000 for this thing, we're going to, you know, spend a lot more than that to do this, but then hopefully the revenue related to that rollout mm -hmm. across 15 plus um, even if I can only close, you know, a quarter of those, um, we'll make that back time and time again. Sure. I hope you're listening closely, <laughs> listeners at home. Uh, and so now the thing that you've pointed to a couple times and I want to uh, underscore is uh, are the motorcycles, mm -hmm. is this workshop um, and all of the things you do that aren't necessarily big boom design, but might be in the business of Boomer Sassman. And I'm wondering... Uh, are there other businesses that exist and that you talk about? Yes, no, maybe so. And then are there, um, is there a strategy for pursuing all of the curiosities that you're into? Or is it, uh, is it more just, uh, let's say, responsive or reactionary? Or I mean, I think, I think a lot of it's just trying to continuously focus on the work-life balance. And, and I don't want to keep harping on, like, lack of screen time because, you know, it's hard to get away from these days. But... Um, you know, I, my background is in product design. I went to school for product design. So the design in the physical space has always been a key thing for me. And um, I did. I, was, I got an apprenticeship in CNC machining when I was in high school, and so I thought I was going to kind of go that route and then realized I didn't want to work in a machine shop for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. and that's kind of when I transitioned more over the web. But, um, yeah, the passion for for cars and motorcycles and um, systems overall, I think, is, is a huge passion for me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, trying to figure out how to spend my time in that realm and if it's also profitable, that's awesome. Um, I'm also very conscious to not make turn hobbies into careers. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it, it worked well with my web side. So um, trying, to, trying to balance that, I think, is, is a tricky thing. So, yeah, there are some other businesses. Some of them go back uh, years and years and years, um, and they're all, I guess, in the product space. I, th I think as I think through this, um, yeah, there's a business that's a it's a an oil pan repair kit. It's a product. It's a fiberglass kit that works to solve a issue that Ford Power Strokes for a decade have, where all the oil pans rust out. So me and a buddy developed this product and um, got it out there, and that's that's mailbox money, um, which is kind of an interesting. Weird little specific niche. Um, the Big Boom Moto business is kind of still in flux and not really sure exactly where it's going to land. Essentially, it's kind of a, my motorcycle passion, um, building out adventure bikes to go ride on. And then I one day realized I had too many of them. <laughs> Several. <laughs> so I was either I was like in my basement one night thinking, why the hell do I have all these motorcycles? I should sell them. 
And then I thought, I can't sell these things. I, I built them out. I spent, you know, years working on them. So then um, the concept of renting them out, because we live in such an awesome, you know, adventure motorcycle type of spot in the country that people fly and travel to Western North Carolina to ride on trails and they don't have a bike that's built out. Um, or if they go rent a bike, they have to sign a waiver that says you won't take it. You on won't ride on any gravel. And yeah. so these bikes are built to, to drop and built to travel. Yeah. Um, Cause that's what I built them to do just to drop. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's kind of that, that may turn into a somewhat of a, like a product design, uh, focused business. It might stick in the motorcycle rental adventure bike rental business. It could also transform or have another element that is um, like leading trips to other states, countries, uh, continents, uh, and guiding trips. But then again, I'm hesitant to to take this thing that I love so much, and then all of a sudden I'm the guide, and I've, I'm the one on the hook for making sure everybody else has a good time. Mm. I don't know if I want to do that. So yeah. that so Big Boom Moto is kind of still in, in flux. Um, and then my most recent project that I'm working on is um, – the idea of a of a two to three day conference slash camp that is a, a skill building event. So adulting camp is the idea there, and it's basically things that we all are embarrassed to say that we don't know how to do um, that are fairly easy to learn. You know, like knot tying and um, how to cook over an open campfire, how to build certain styles of fire, how to sharpen knives, how to shoot slingshots and bone arrows, all those types of things. So uh, there seems like there are tiny so dogs fighting out <laughs> next door. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Thank you for bearing with us, listener. Um, and so I, I have a mental count of three other businesses. Is there a name on the uh, Ford business that you share? Uh, it's just oil pan repair. Oil pan repair. Cool. Yeah, I snagged a good domain that name. Good domain. That was an accidental business. I did a uh, a blog post about this fiberglass kit that we installed on my buddy's truck. And it went online, and it sat there for six years. And I thought, I didn't think once about it yeah. for six years. And then one day, one late night, I was looking at Google Analytics and realized that that one blog post got 60,000 views over those six years. All yeah. around people looking for yeah. this solution to this Ford, leaky Ford oil pan situation. And so oilpanrepair.com was available, so I snagged it, spun up a quick WordPress website, and we just basically started bringing in sales, and um, surprisingly, it still works really well. There's two million of these trucks slash ambulances slash vans on the road today. Yeah. So. Uh, Ford four strokes. It's no, it's a, um, it's a diesel. Or it's 91, 1991 to two thousand and one. I think it's ninety two to two thousand one. Ford seven point three liter Ford Power Strokes. Power Strokes that are like the truck that every contractor on yeah. the planet wants. They're million mile engines, with the exception of this one issue. And and the issue is that Ford made the oil pans out of a piece of metal that was too thin, and then they put a huge steel cross beam directly underneath the oil pan. So to replace the oil pan, you have to take the engine out of the truck. It's a massive vehicle. It holds 17 quarts of oil, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, oil pan, big boom moto, yeah. which is rentals and more potentially. Yep. Um, and then this adventure camp. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we're in a, I, I said, it's a, it's a garage that reminds me of like what I think your brain is, but probably like personified or, you know, in physical form, physical embodiment, and, yeah, physical embodiment <laughs> of your brain. So we have a lifted, like uh, up on jacks, 
uh, race car. It's a lemons. It's a lemons race car. Yeah, it's a car that I bought in college uh, with the motor in the trunk, <laughs> uh, in pieces, and put it together. Drove it for a decade. It's a 1987 325i BMW. Drove it for a decade. Drove it to Canada a couple times and back, and then it sat for a number of years. And then about a, two years ago, decided to turn it into a 24-hour of lemons uh, car, which is basically that circuit. The whole idea is cars can't be worth more than $500. So we, we built it out. I built it out, and then uh, with the help of a couple of buddies, and um, we took it down to Kershaw last April and raced for the first time on the track, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, and so, like, you know, it's got flames on it 828 it's got a diy roll cage and more uh and you know i think the fabrication and welding was done by you Uh, yeah i did the cage that was the most nervous about passing tech inspection because i've never built a roll cage before well i've never built a cage that had to pass inspection before (laughs) sure (laughs) it is uh it looks robust it also looks a little bit like hulkamania if you know uh you know, Hollywood Hulk Hogan from back in the I days, the red and gold is strong flame theme. But uh, you have that. We have just in here, I'll just say multiple uh, two-wheeled vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then every single tool and component piece available and organized, uh, but still feeling DIY. Like it's not yeah. necessarily sterile, but it's clean. It's clean. Yeah. It's yeah. uh yeah, I mean, I, I got a lot of stuff, but it's fairly organized. So Incredibly. that's the key, I think, is, yeah. uh, you know, a label maker and cabinets. <laughs> cabinets. <laughs> and so uh, when when thinking about this, um, you know, the fine line of both uh, work-life balance, and I'll argue that it rarely is ever balanced, but there's equilibrium, and equilibrium means that it ebbs and it flows. Mm-hmm. And at moments and almost always, there's something towards the middle that is uh, uh say achievable and or just right there and so uh work-life balance but then deciding what project you're going to work on and if you're going to go for a motorcycle ride or put the uh tie rod ends into the race car i don't know you were working on a project yesterday what was it remember. yeah so <laughs> if you're going to work on the uh the race car or if you're going to update um the oil pan i don't imagine you're not doing a ton of lifting on the oil pan no, website yeah very little on that one um but how do you how do you think about all the projects and we'll note i have a past guest miles alexander that'll say betty doesn't have any kids <laughs> correct <laughs> right so <laughs> no kids so boomer doesn't have any kids which is uh i'm gonna say that it's not it doesn't need to be an excuse but it's intentional, intentional. it's yeah. intentional so how do you decide what project what activity what uh, is going to take your time when you're not on a screen yeah so i've always been pretty i've always had add obviously and um you know in college like when i went out of high school into college they i got onto medicine for like a month or two adderall or whatever it was and then it changed me too much in mm-hmm. too many ways that i was like this isn't me this is not cool and it, i got to a point where um, if I if I went a day and didn't you know take a pill, I couldn't really function well. I wasn't productive, and that frustrates me more than anything else is not being mm-hmm. productive. And so I finally, over the years, have just figured out how to kind of not cope with it, but just how to work 
within the ADD mindset that I have. And so I, I've just gotten really, really comfortable having more projects than most should have. Mm. So that if I lose interest in one, or if I break a tool, or if I don't have a part, I can easily just pivot and move to something else and still feel like I'm getting stuff done and still feel value in it. And uh, that diversity of the projects also really helps me stay um, stay productive and, and still enjoy all the stuff. Mm. Um, you know, I think that there's this this issue that we have these days that a lot of us have these days, um, whether we run an e-commerce business or we build websites or we just have an online presence where the Internet never turns off. Mm. It's always there if you want to go dig in and fix stuff or find stuff or research things or whatever it might be. And we've gotten a lot of us have gotten to a point where we don't keep ourselves in check with that. We'll just spend too much time in front of a screen. A lot of us, you know, spend spend the day, especially now post COVID or still during COVID you know, in front of a screen and then we get done with work and then we spend more time in front mm. of the screen. And sometimes we catch ourselves, you know, at night watching Netflix on a screen across the room with a phone in our hands. Scrolling. You know, so we've got multiple Scrolling. screens. So I think yeah. for me, the desire to, um, you know, have that separation between the physical and the digital design world keeps me interested and passionate about uh, building and tinkering and, and making things. And again, to tie with si the whole systems I'm addicted to systems and trying to get systems to run efficient, whether that's a car or a motorcycle or a website, you know, or, or whatever it might be. Hmm. I love that. And the, the other thought that showed up in my mind, and I don't know if I'm interested to know if this is how you would put words to it, too, is the idea that um, every business is some version or another of a earmuffs for the kids listening shit sandwich. Mm hmm. And so, you know, get swallowing down that shit sandwich is often a lot easier if there's something after quitting time yep. that gives you life. Yep. And it seems to me that while you have positioned yourself professionally to be doing work that seems to excite you and, mm -hmm. and be a good fit, you also stack that post quitting time yep. with fun things that also light you up. Yeah, that hopefully, and, and some of those may uh, be businesses. Yeah. Some of them may not be businesses for another six months to six years. Yeah. Or they might not ever. But I think getting comfortable with that is, um, I'm comfortable with it. Cool. Yeah. And so uh, to attempt to wrap this, uh, you are a part of season nine of the Making It in Asheville podcast. And my theme, loose theme for season nine is I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of like adventure businesses and so while web design isn't necessarily the most adventurous nope. you do represent in like in my mind one of the most like adventure bound uh humans that i know specifically in Asheville, but j just period also thanks um are there adventures that are coming up that you're particularly excited about uh or are there adventures locally that when folks come to town and say take me somewhere cool you recommend yeah, I mean, I, I definitely try to get into the woods as much as possible. Uh, for whatever reason, the mountains have just always kind of pulled me in. Um, I'm planning a, a, a multi-part trip next year, hopefully. This all works out, where I ride uh, one of my bikes out to Washington State, leave it, fly back, spend about a month here re-engaging, fly back out, and then ride from uh, essentially Seattle up to Valdez, Alaska. So there's 1,800 miles from the Alaskan, or sorry, the um, the Canadian border, essentially, the Washington State-Canadian border 
1800 miles starts there and runs up towards Alaska. And it's supposed to be the most scenic, most beautiful terrain in North mm. America. And so I've wanted to see that for a long time. And so I'm going to uh, try to make that happen slowly planning towards that and got to figure out how it fits in time wise. Um, and then from Valdez, Alaska, I'd take a ferry back down to like Vancouver area mm. and then potentially ride back or leave the bike, fly back. And then, uh, and then yeah, so it's a, it's a two, maybe three leg, leg. uh, big ass trip. Awesome. That's probably close to 12,000 miles of road time. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to living vicariously through you as you, you come do with that. Me, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> maybe one of the legs. Maybe on the back. Yeah, know? maybe one of the legs for like three days, and then I, I fly back yeah. from Colorado yeah. or something. Uh, awesome. Now, to wrap, how would people find you, Big Boom Designs, and your projects on the I'm World Wide Web? I'm intentionally a ghost on almost all social media. Sure. Um, I don't have a Facebook account. I am on Instagram. It's just Boomer Sassman. Sassman has two ends. Um Instagram, I, I really only post when I travel or when I'm doing, you know, and a, they're a often race event or <laughs> epic posts. Uh, yeah, so so I'm on there, and then obviously um, the website bigboomdesign.com um, and boomer at bigboomdesign.com is the is my primary email there. Cool, so. and I'll have links in most of the places that matter. But it was wonderful to have you on the podcast, you, dear friend, mentor, helper when I break mechanical <laughs> things. Uh, this was a privilege. Cool. Thanks, Tony.